was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello and welcome. This is The Wind Was a Beginning, a podcast about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is Season 3, Episode 12, A Supernatural Trifecta of Unnatural Luck. Hello everyone and... Thank you for joining us again this week. It's uh, Justin and Steven here, those two nerdy guys that love to talk about this little book series that uh, uh, was written several years ago. Um, Steven, what is it called again? <laughs> the Wheel of Time! Time! Uh, time! Nice echo effect. <laughs> um of course, you already knew that because that's why you're here, right? You came to hear us talk about the Wheel of Time, and um, that's why we're here, is to talk about it. Steven, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, it's great to be back and get to talk about this. Uh, the book is really starting to pick up, so yeah. I'm excited. Sounds like we're both in a good mood this week, too. I'm excited. Uh, <laughs> we actually, um, you know, when you're hearing this, we actually had taken a week off, um, and if I've got my calendar right, uh, it's Valentine's Day. So, um, happy Valentine's Day, everyone, if you, uh, celebrate, um, and if you don't, that's fine too. Uh, whatever you, you, uh, you want to do, that's, uh, that's you. Um, but yeah, February 14th, uh, which means there's an important day coming up for us later in the week, because, uh, as we've been talking about for a couple of weeks now, uh, we have a little contest that we're running. Uh, Steven, do you want to tell them um, about the... Well, let me tell them about what we're doing for the contest, and then you can tell them the rules. So we are do doing a giveaway. Uh, we are going to send you a fantastic Wheel of Time coffee mug. And along with it, we're going to send you some coffee from a, a roaster that uh, I, I use. It's a small business in Charleston, South Carolina. They're called Big Kick Coffee. And, uh, they're very good. Uh, you can go and check them out. Uh, this is, uh, uh, they're not paying me a thing to say this. Uh, I just believe in their product that much. Uh, and we're going to share it with you, uh, and happy to do so. So Stephen, now, why don't you tell the listeners, uh, what they need to do to enter the contest? Okay. So, uh, on the previous two episodes, as well as this episode, we will have a social media post that goes out with each episode. What we want you to do is go to that post, like it, then comment on the post saying, I would like to share a cup of calf with and tell us the character from the story so far that you would want to sit down and share a cup of coffee with. Then share the post uh, by either tagging it with friends, retweeting it, or sharing it publicly, uh, and then let us know that you have entered. And at the end of this release, uh, we will then tally the votes together, the entries, and pick a winner. That's right. Um, all entries have to be in by Friday, February 17th. And I'll say at the end of the day, 
on Friday, February 17th. Um, make sure that those entries are in by that point, and then we will announce the winner on our 50th episode, because that's the whole reason we're doing this, is we're turning yep. 50. <laughs> yep. Uh, and that episode will be released on March 7th. I know that's a little bit of a gap, but we record a little bit in advance, so we need time to get all that uh, sorted out. Um, yeah, uh, February 17th, that's my birthday. <laughs> I'm all not right, afraid to say that. Uh, and that'll be, um, so, so give me some birthday presents. Give me those, uh, those, those comments to, um, to, to read through and, and pick a winner. Uh, Stephen, who would you like to share a cup of calf with? Ooh. Hmm. I put you on the spot. <laughs> well, of the characters we have met so far. I would probably say Matt. Okay, that'd be an, that'd be an interesting conversation. Yeah, uh, I my, I was probably thinking have loyal. Some dice involved. Yeah. Oh, that would be fun. Um, <laughs> I was thinking loyal. Uh, I just figured to sit you would and, say loyal. Sit and talk with loyal. Of course, I was thinking yesterday about another character that uh, we we we've we haven't really met yet. So I'm not going to say who it is, but. Uh, I was just thinking it would be interesting to talk to them and, and share, uh, at least from what I know about the character. Yeah. Um, maybe I can, expl- I can tell you later. Anyway, uh, we're already about five minutes in and <laughs> haven't even gotten started yet. Stephen, what are we talking about this week? So, this week we are covering chapters 29 through 31. So, listeners, if any of you have not read those chapters yet, pause, go read, and come back. We will be here. For those of you who are read up and ready to go, let's dive on in. Let's do that. I'm in such a good mood tonight. (laughs) Uh, Let's dive right into chapter 29, A Trap to Spring. With the departure of Nynaeve and the others looming, the Omerlin seat finally checks in as they work in the kitchens. Discreetly, she delivers news that could not wait and confirms what Nynaeve feared about the clues they found beneath the library. The time has come to spring the trap, and now they go with the Omerlin's blessing. But what will they find when they finally arrive in Tyr? Um, so, I thought maybe we should just start out. You want to remind us what the plan had been from, from the previous chapter? Uh, the plan was to go with or without the Omerlin's help, try and pull together whatever little money they still had left and figure out a way off the island and to get basically head to tier. Yeah. They were just going to do it on um, their own because they felt like they right. were on their own. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure they had a specific time even, uh, in mind. I think it was about midday. Yeah. Uh, of this day when all of this is happening in this chapter. Um, so the Amerlin's arrival is, uh, almost not a moment too soon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think Nynaeve even um, comments on that. So that raises a question for me, though, and I, maybe you can um, give an opinion on it. Is it too coincidental that the Omerlin just happens to show up hours before they were going to leave on their own? I mean, it is pretty convenient. I, I guess I guess what I'm driving at is 
was their plan not as secret as they thought it was? <laughs> mm, I don't know if that's the case. I just wonder if maybe, like, it's been a little while. It's been several days since the Omerlin. Actually, I don't think they've had any interaction with the Omerlin since uh, they were raised to accepted. Yeah, so, I think that's the vibe that I got. Yeah, so I think it maybe it was just time for this to happen. Yeah. Well, and I guess there is the the one pressing matter that Swan said couldn't wait. Um, there's so much in this chapter that I would love to talk about. I don't know if we have time uh, no, to mention. Go right it. ahead. I, I mean, I do want to mention. Uh, I didn't put this in our notes, but I did. I did think about um, Nynaeve's pride and stubbornness being on full display here, particularly the fact that uh, she's still bound and determined to get back at Moraine. Like, that's still, that's still her goal. Like she hasn't grown out of that yet. I mean, I know it hadn't been a really long time, but it's been long enough. I would think for her to, I hate to say it, but mature a little bit and, and not, I mean, it's been, it's Why do you think she has to mature? I mean, Moraine has things to answer for. Yeah, but Nynaeve is being a little... Oh, she she definitely is. She's being a little uh, stubborn about it. But yeah. she needs to right now, because that's the only... According to her, that desire to get back at Moraine is the only thing driving her to endure all that she's going through right now. Mm. Like, she pretty much says that in this section of the book. Yeah, like, she that's does. That's what's keeping her going with this scrubbing and with everything else, enduring all these stupid eyes to die. And, you know, she needs that. Uh, I don't know. I think she maybe needs to grow up a little bit. But that's <laughs> me. Um, that, 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 that's me. I, I just think it's not a good look for, for Nynaeve. Uh, I, I think they're, they're, by this point, there should be something else driving her besides, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, well, maybe I am saying that that shouldn't even be a thing. Um, but at the very least she should have something else driving her. Yeah. That's my well, opinion. I, I get where you're coming from. I just don't yeah. think, I don't think her dislike of Moraine is completely without merit. I mean, Moraine no, not, could have done a lot better job to bring more, to bring Nynaeve on board. Well, I'll, I'll grant that. Uh, I'll, I'll <laughs> grant that. I don't know. I'm just, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just rubbed the wrong way by her stubbornness. Um, and you know, I'm stubborn myself. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're two peas in a pod, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, let, let's, let's talk about this. Revelation from the Amerlin, really, I guess, the thing that couldn't wait, right? Uh, and here, I read this chapter several times as we were preparing, you know, as I, as I do whenever we, um, we plan for a new episode. I read this chapter several times, and every time, almost, I forgot that there was a soulless even mentioned. <laughs> because to me, it just seems like it got overshadowed by everything else that is discussed in this chapter. So with okay. everything else, everything else that happens, like this happens so early and it's 
almost so passing that I just forgot about it as I got to the end of the chapter. So you're talking about that did remind me. That's the reason the Omerlin shows up right now in the kitchens. That that's true. I, I remembered uh, that um, as I was reading through the notes. That yeah. uh, that's that's the reason she came. Now I still think there's um, more than coincidence going on, but uh, that's just me. So are you trying um, to say that you think maybe the gray man was placed to cause this to get the Omerlin into the kitchens? No, I just felt like you know maybe they're plans were not as secret as they thought they were that the Omerlin knew somehow what mm-hmm. they were planning i don't know how she she might have known but i, I just feel like there might have been some way that she she was kind of tipped off mm-hmm. um but then there is this pressing issue uh who is it was it was it sherryom yeah sherryom found, found a gray man dead in her bed well it was actually a gray woman uh, gray woman but still <laughs> Uh, no, but they're still called Gray Man. But um, yeah, it was actually a woman, which I thought was interesting because wasn't there a discussion when we first learned about the soulless that women almost never made that decision to serve the Dark One in that way? Yeah, it's very, very, very rare. So the fact that, you know, here so soon after we had that discussion, here's a woman that gave her soul over to the Shadow. Yep. Um, it's, it's troubling. Oh, it definitely it, is. It's troubling. But I had a question, and um, I don't really know. <laughs> um, well, I guess it came from, you know, what we find out later in this chapter. And I think what we've already had confirmed, um, that wasn't Els Grinwell that came to deliver a message to them. Right. Because uh, she's been out of the pat tower. She's been out of the tower for a week and a half, yep. <laughs> at least. Um, we're pretty sure it was Lanfear in disguise, yep. which is frightening in its own right. Uh, I think we discussed and it that already. Also does, that would also confirm that it was Lanfear when Matt ran into Els as well. That's true, yeah. Or at uh, least somebody somebody that wasn't Els. It, it wasn't Els. It was probably Lanfear. Yeah. Um, and so it raised the question for me, how does Lanfear know what they're doing, right? How does she know that, that they're the, the hounds? And like I know she was there, like, standing at the door, but she came to their door with a purpose, right? She came to their door already planning to lay this trail for them. And so the question that I had, and this this still relates to the soulless, I know they make good assassins, right? Mm-hmm. Could they also be used as spies? So, in theory, you could use one as a spy, although that would be a, in my opinion, would be a horrible uh, misuse of resources to use one in such a way. And two, I don't know that how effective they would be as a spy, because okay. while they are very good at going unnoticed, that comes at a cost. They are soulless. They are basically the dark ones. They're basically puppets on a string. Okay. Like, they don't have a soul anymore. They don't have 
a personality. So, like, you can give them orders, like, go and kill so-and-so, and they okay. will follow the orders to go and kill and do what they have to do to make that happen. But they aren't going to be able to comp to accomplish, like, subterfuge. So they, like, they couldn't, like, hide somewhere, gather information, and then bring it back? In theory, I guess they could, um, but I would wonder how much they would have the, like, how much ability they would have to recall that information. Okay. Okay. Um, um, like, it's unclear, but how much of their memory is still intact with the, without a soul would be my okay. question. Um, so, but, it, but it's, 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 it's possible. It is possible. Just maybe not efficient. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, it, and when you have somebody who the entire purpose of them is to be assassins, and you don't have a lot of these guys, it's not like they've got an army of soulless. I don't know. It so, seems to me like they're everywhere lately. No, I'm. But that it, that should tell you how serious the situation is because they don't have an endless amount of these guys, okay. and to see this many of them right now is pretty, uh, pretty terrifying, honestly. Mm. Uh. And so it's just not one of those things where you, you have, you can make any dark friend can be a spy. You know, you can have a woman that's a dark friend come in as a novice and be a spy in the tower. That's true. Those dark friends are a dime a dozen. The soulless, like you've got a couple of handful of these guys. Like you don't have, like these are like elite assassins. Why would you waste one of those on something that you could use? Heck, you could even use a Murdral well, as a, probably a better spy, honestly. That, well, yeah, but I'm, I'm just, you know, the my, my thinking was that the Soulless are really good at not being seen. Yeah. So they could be hiding in a corner listening. You'd never know they were there. Um, True. That was kind of the, the, the route I was going. But again, it all comes back to how did Lanfear know that they were the Hounds to, so that she could deliver that message and start them on this path to tear. Um, and you're not going to tell me, it sounds like. So. <laughs> I would say, dream a little dream. Dream a little dream. Uh, I hear you. <laughs> uh, I, I get exactly what you're trying to say to me. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. All right, all right. Well, um, we're I would going say to if there is, oh, go ahead. If there are things that Lanfear wants to know, I don't think there are very many people that are going to keep her from finding out the information she wants. Okay. <laughs> Obviously. Um, <laughs> um, but all of this does ultimately lead to we're going to Tear. Because that's where all the evidence is pointing. We're going to go spring the trap and hope that we don't get caught in it, essentially. Yeah. Um, but at least they're going with um, uh, Swan's blessing. She's going to leave them some gold uh, to help them along the way, which that'll probably be nice. Yeah. Um, but there was one other thing that I thought um, probably needed to be brought up is we know... Um, one thing that's waiting in tier, and that is Kalendor. Yep. Uh, which we find out a little bit more about Kalendor in this chapter, don't we? Yeah, this is the first time we're getting an outright explanation of 
what Kalendor actually is. Right. You want to you want to uh, explain that before so, we get into others? Sure. Kalendor is a male saw Angriel. Okay, he, I don't think it. I I don't think we were told it was male, but well, it's, I mean, it's, it can. It would make no sense for it to be female if the only person who can touch can it touch is it the is dragon. dragon, right? Uh, so anyway, it's, go ahead. <laughs> it is a saw Angriel. It is the most powerful saw Angriel ever created, save for two. Okay, I, I was. I was wait. I was waiting for for that. I was like, wait a minute. I thought it said the third most yeah. powerful. <laughs> it's the third most powerful. Yeah. Be- but I would say it is second most powerful because the other two are on the same level. Okay. Okay. Uh, but we so, don't know anything about those yet. No. Uh, <laughs> other than the fact that well, only the thing we know is that Swan says they've never been used. Right. Which then leads you to think that Kalendor has at some point been used. Apparently, so, and apparently it's pretty powerful. Yeah, uh, she tells Nynaeve if she, you know, that she could level an entire city in one shot. Yeah, if I guess if she could use it, <laughs> I guess she can't use it. But, yeah, uh, um, or can she? But, um, well, maybe I don't know. I was but, also, uh, I was also struck by how serious uh, Swan takes this. Basically, uh, tells Nynaeve, you know, if. If y'all were to die keeping that out of the Black Aja's hands, it's all for the greater good. Yeah, and and she 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 goes as far as to say it would be a small price to pay. Yeah, <laughs> uh, for all three of your lives to keep Kalendor out of the hands of the Dark One and his Which minions. I know we've we've kind of criticized the Blue Aja before about that for the greater good mentality. Yeah, that they seem to have. Which I, okay, I know she's technically not Blue Aja anymore, but. Might as well be. Um, Her blue is showing. <laughs> yes, very much so. Very much so. Um, yeah, no, and and that is a, I think that is an honest-to-goodness flaw of Swan. Uh, she's a puppet master. And she yeah. is perfectly okay sacrificing other people to see her goals met. Yep. Uh, that is never more clear than right now when she is sending <laughs> three half-trained girls to hunt 13 full-fledged sisters plus yeah. all of the dark that's with them. Uh, you know, she could easily have chosen a sister to go. Yeah, but she doesn't know that she, she can trust them. No, but <laughs> still. Uh, that that That's her rationale is these are the only ones she knows she can trust. Yeah. Um but um Kalendor is not the only item of interest in Tyr. Nope. Uh apparently there is a cache of Tyrangrial somewhere within that fortress. Um Yeah. Rifling and, and, what's in the tower. Yeah, and I, I think Swan's assessment of is they're they you know, the 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 Tyrans are trying to hide it. <laughs> they're trying to yep. keep it locked away. Uh, so that it can't be used, uh, because they're uh, terrified of the power. As um, I, I feel like uh, Swan knows firsthand. Yeah, she's she's Tyrant, isn't she? She is. So so when she talks about, um, you know how they ship the girls off like the same day, she's speaking from experience, and I think that's hinted at yeah. in the text. Um, so. Uh, that was painful for her, but um, 
That's the the world she grew up in, I guess. Uh, yeah, the, so, the Lords of Tear are terrified of the power because when the dragon does finally come, that's their downfall. Right. Like that's the right. end of them. Because if their if their fortress falls to the dragon, then you know they're done. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they're trying to prevent that um, by keep keeping uh, the thing they fear so close at hand. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, interesting philosophy. Anything else in chapter twenty nine? Um, I don't think so. Other than the fact that I do want to say for a minute, uh, Nynaeve gets kind of humbled a little bit here by Swan because Nynaeve has a quality that I do not like, and it's on full display in this chapter. And she is very judgmental and harsh of people. Ah, right. Uh, she is the opposite of Matt in that regard. Yeah. Um, and she's coming down, has a lot of really mean things to say about Laris, yeah. uh, the mistress of the kitchens. And then it turns out at the end, Swan's like, you know, she's the only reason, like, she came to, she went to bat for you guys. Yeah, she did. Against me. <laughs> she was like, I'm not going to yeah. be a part of, like, breaking these poor girls' spirits and everything. Yeah. And, you know, kind of knocks Nynaeve down a couple pegs. Because she's been sitting here, this woman has literally gone out of her way, stuck her neck out for them, without ever asking or saying anything, and Nynaeve this whole time is just like, saying how horrible, and she's just a fat, good for nothing, and all this. Yeah. So, I couldn't let that go by without mentioning it, because yeah, I think I do it's... Find it, I do find it kind of interesting that the chief cooks lo- looks like she's never done any cooking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, at least not recently. Um, she is perfectly spotless from head to toe, at least until the Omerlin comes in. But uh, yeah. let's move on to chapter 30. Yep. And a different point of view. We're in chapter 30, the first toss. Matt leaves the White Tower and gambles the night away in various common rooms throughout the city. With pockets full of coin, he realizes that it is time to be on his way downriver but a few seedy individuals slow his progress. An encounter with a would-be assassin leaves Matt shaken, and he needs to sit down for a few minutes before moving on. Perhaps the common room of the woman of Tanchico will be a good place to lie low for a little while. I want to talk about how Matt gets out of the tower. (laughs) Basically by hiding in plain sight. Yeah, it's actually uh, pretty genius what he does. It, it it is in a way. I mean, he really did think it out. Um, you know, let let them if you're gonna do it, let them think that you know you're you're being a fool or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they'll think, oh, they'll they'll just be waiting for you to be brought back. And then by the time they realize, oh, you're actually gone, you're you're way on down the river already. That is really uh, kind of an M.O. for Matt, is playing the fool. Like, he is great at letting people underestimate him. Yeah, well, because... Intentionally. Yeah, well, and to think about it, so at least up to this point in his life, pretty much everybody does underestimate yep. them. That's how they think of Matt, is yeah. as the fool. He's the jokester. He's the one who's always getting into trouble. 
Yep. So when he actually has a brilliant plan, <laughs> nobody recognizes it for what it is. Yeah. But his night doesn't go entirely according to plan. So because he was only going to gamble for a little while. And yeah, he was just going to add a little he was just going to add a little bit of coin to his purse. Um but then he kept winning. Yeah. And he kept winning. Uh, and then he kept winning a little bit. More. And then he kept winning some more. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Every toss of the dice, so much so that at one point he was thankful that he wasn't using his own dice. Yep. Because uh, then people would think he was cheating. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, this He's interesting little, almost like, it's almost like a living dream sequence. For a minute, like he just gets caught up in it and it just keeps going. And yeah, uh, it's a very interesting little thing. Other people start picking up on the fact that he's winning and making themselves tons of money by betting yeah, on this him. One, and that one, uh, <laughs> the sea folk uh, guy, sea folk fellow, which I'm, I'm kind of with Matt. What's he doing so far from the sea? Uh, yep, <laughs> uh, which we don't really get an answer for, but yeah, he uh, first he lost to Matt, yeah. And then he made all his money back and more betting on Matt to win. <laughs> so uh, Matt had a Matt had a good night. Uh, he had a good night at the dice games and uh, his yeah. uh, unusual luck, unnatural luck. Yeah. And there's this one moment where. Someone mentions the phrase, the dark one's own luck. And Matt just loses it on this guy. And and I understand it from Matt's point of view. You know, he's saying, I don't want to be associated with anything to do with the dark one. But it also seems like there's something more to that. So what can you explain <laughs> at this point? <laughs> All right. So, a couple things. Um, the Dark One's Own Luck is basically a derogatory phrase used to refer to somebody who's luckier than they have any right to be, okay. or uh, luck seems to run counter to what it should. Um, because that's the idea. The Dark One manipulates, he's paradox, he's chaos, yeah. he, re he manipulates chance and probability, so that Somebody who seems luckier than they should, superstitiously, people would say it's the dark one's own luck, or like that person can't be that lucky. They must have made a deal with the, like some kind of like in our modern world, people will talk about like, oh, they made a deal with the devil. Okay. Um, so to have the dark one's own luck is very much not a good thing to have somebody say about you. <laughs> uh, it and so sound like it. No, so Matt is. You know, it, well within his rights to react how he does, even though yeah. he does overreact. <laughs> um, but as far as what this is, what is going on here, um, I cannot give you the canon answer for what is happening right here, but I can give you theories. Um, and okay. I think I can actually give theories, and none of them will be spoilery. So, ha. Uh, so. When the, and Matt kind of puzzles over this too here in this chapter, uh, talking about how he feels like maybe this could have something to do with the healing that was done to him. Like mm -hmm. maybe the Aes Sedai did something to him. 
but he is very clear in recollection that he was never this lucky until he picked up that dagger. Yeah. Um, that is the spawn point for this weird luck. Uh, and while he seems to have gotten a little bit luckier when he had the dagger, now it's something else altogether. Um, he's he's not losing at all. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I would postulate that it is a combination of a couple of things. Okay. One, uh, it is the influence that carrying the dagger for that long had on him. Because, and this is why I say this, what Mordith did in Arid Hole was basically poison the minds, corrupt and manipulate. Mm -hmm. What's happening here is that Matt's luck, however it's doing it, is manipulating chance around him. So it is manipulation. Just like what Mordith did in Arid Hall later Shatter Logoth. Okay. Um, so I think that's part of it. I don't think that would have ever gotten to this if all it was was just him getting corrupted by the dagger. Okay, so there's more. There's more. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the catalyst. Okay. I think then he's also somewhat right that it was something done to him by the Aes Sedai. Because as we've talked about before, what happened with him and the healing was less of a healing and more of an exorcism. Yeah. They were basically thinking of it like a demonic possession or a tumor that they went in and removed. Um, but what they did, and we've seen evidence of this already with how his memory is going all weird and he's speaking lots and lots of the old tongue all of a sudden. In healing him, they had to fill the gaps with something when they pulled out all that corruption and all that dark taint that was from Shutter Lugoth. So they mm -hmm. extracted that, something had to fill the void, or Matt would have just died. What they did is they bound Matt back to the old blood. Interesting. So in my opinion, what happened, and this is, again, this is my theory, when the Aes Sedai healed Matt, they removed the taint from Shadow Logoth and instead more strongly connected Matt to that old blood. Uh, to that, to, for lack of a better word, word, they connected Matt strongly to his past selves. Interesting. Like, to, to the old blood of Manetherin. Um. And so we've seen two memory snippets from back then, yeah. and both of the memory snippets were people that were fighting and people that were gambling. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think Matt is strongly connected to them. Combine that with the manipulative force that was the dagger from Shadow Logoth, and throw in... That Matt wait, 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 is severe. Let me guess. Oh, I was going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, say it again. <laughs> yeah, Matt is Taviran. and I think what what is happening here is you have a supernatural trifecta of things that are coming together in Matt to create this unnatural look. And it's not any one thing. It is a 
triple package of things that have happened to Matt that are culminating together to create this look. Okay. Uh, So everything, you know, kind of coming to a head then, and it's working out in Matt's favor, at least for now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Because that's the other question. He's lucky right now. Extremely lucky. Does that mean he's always going to be lucky? Well, uh, he is right now, and seems like he maybe has been for a while. But uh, uh, every now, and every everybody's luck has got to run out sometime. Yeah. So uh, we'll be keeping an eye out for that. And uh, for for a few minutes, I thought maybe Matt's luck was going to run out on the same night. Yeah. Because uh, he he you know he finally decides. Okay, I've had enough. It was after that that moment with the the man yeah. who mentioned the dark one's own luck and kind of jars him out of it. Yeah. Kinda, yeah. Like you said, he was kind of in a dream state almost. Yeah. And, um, he finally kind of comes to his senses, but, uh, when he does that and he heads outside and starts kind of trying to be on his way, all of a sudden he realizes he's being followed. And, um, that leads into a whole episode of, Running from these, uh, he calls them footpads, thieves, pickpockets, yeah. whatever you want to call them, uh, ducking into alleys, climbing up on rooftops, uh, walking across the city by rooftop until he finally comes to a bridge. And here there's this guy with a knife who tries to kill Matt. And I love this moment when, you know, this whole thing ends, this little fight on mm-hmm. the bridge. And, you know, he's kind of got Matt leaned over the um, the side of the bridge. And what does Matt say? Time to toss the dice. Yep. And takes off into the, uh, into the night air. And luckily, pun intended, uh, <laughs> Matt manages to fall right on top of the guy. Um, yeah, there is something about that that I wanted to bring our attention to. I want to find the the actual spot. Here it is. Let's see. All right. Okay. It's when he is, uh, he's already made it past the footpads, and he's climbing up on the roof, and he's going along. Uh, where? Let's see. Okay, he's up on the roof. He was thinking about going in the shop, and then he decided not to because the person probably wouldn't like somebody coming into their house in the middle of the night. And so then he it says he turned from the railing and suddenly became aware of a man sharing the bridge with him, a man with a dagger in his hand. So the way when I read this section right here, the way that it says he suddenly became of aware became aware of a man sharing the bridge with him. Yeah. That to me sounds like a gray man. Yeah, he didn't see him before. Uh-huh. But he then suddenly He just suddenly it... became aware he was there. Yeah. <laughs> Not he saw him approach or he saw this guy jump out. No, he just became aware that he was there. <laughs> well, um Dark One's advocate, Matt was a little <laughs> preoccupied, right? True. It's possible he just didn't notice the guy. It's possible. I just think the <laughs> fra- the wording here makes me think that we're supposed to think that it is a 
a uh, gray man. But maybe yeah. it's just a normal dark friend. I, I'm I'm not I'm not saying I disagree with you. I'm just uh, yeah, kind of playing the game a little bit, uh, tossing yeah. the dice as it were. Um, and oh, yeah. given given what we find out uh, in the next chapter, it makes that theory stand a little bit stronger. I think. Yeah. Also, uh, you mentioned uh, right before Matt pulls them off of the ledge and tumbles. Uh, he says, "Time t- time to toss the dice." I don't think he's actually saying time to toss the dice. You think it, you you think it's old tongue? I think it's old tongue because of the uh, way the guy he says he thought the other man looked confused for an instant, but an instant was all he had. So I think it's another instance of Matt spilling out okay. the old tongue and not even knowing even, he's doing it. I didn't even think about that. I thought the guy was just confused because that seemed like such a random thing to say. Yeah, uh, which it was. But it's even more random when it's in the old tongue. <laughs> yeah, because that's uh, where we heard it before. We heard this once before from the memory. Okay. Okay. Of that general when he decided to engage his army, that was the last thing he said. Yeah. Was time to I remember the dice. that now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, um, this fellow, uh, maybe he was a gray man. Maybe he wasn't. He wasn't so lucky. No. Because when Matt falls on top of him, Matt gets up and realizes he's got a dagger in his chest. Yeah. And he's he's dead. Yeah. Uh, D-E-A-D, dead. <laughs> yeah, and that's something, um, too, that you really have to think about with Matt's luck. It seems like it's this great, wonderful thing, but you have to realize, and I think this is something that parallels with Rand for a second. You know, we've seen Rand how his Tavira nature is having an effect on other people, like in the town with all the weddings. Yeah. Um, Matt's luck is very much in the same vein because for every bit of luck he gains, somebody else is being very, very unlucky. Yeah. Like yeah. all those people he won all that money from, <laughs> uh, you know, that money had to come from somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, it definitely, there's a balancing scale uh, to it, and it is very interesting to think about, and I don't think we do a lot of times as readers. We're just like, oh, our hero is, he's so lucky, and it's great. We don't really think about the fact that because he's lucky, look at what he's doing to everything around him. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it does have an effect. So. Uh, well, I don't know. I guess we'll have to watch and see what happens with Matt's luck yep. going forward. Um but we're not done so, with Matt this week. No, we get to spend a little more time in his head. Get to spend a little bit more time with Matt and uh, a surprising familiar face. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shall we dive into chapter 31? I think so. All right. Chapter 31, The Woman of Tanchico. Matt tries to find a few moments of solace in The Woman of Tanchico's common room but instead finds himself sitting and talking with a very drunk Tom Merrily. As Matt scarfs down a few whole chickens, Tom reveals some of what is plaguing him, and ultimately decides to join Matt on the way to Camelin. Heading outside, Matt realizes that something isn't right, and practically runs to be on the first ship out of Tarvala. Uh, yay, Tom's back! <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, I... I always love when, you know, the and, and it seems to happen like this, that, you know, Tom's gone for a little while, 
and then he shows back up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I always love those moments. I want to, uh, I know you've got something on the, uh, the, the rundown ahead of me, but I want to go ahead and skip to, to this since we're talking about Tom being back. Uh, this is one of my favorite things that Jordan does. And it's, it's when he repeats these descriptive details, uh, about characters and places. Uh, I want to, let me find that passage. Um, I had it marked. Oh, it's, it's the very beginning of the chapter. Um, when he's describing Tom Marilyn and once he gets a little bit into it, you know who it is, but I'm, I just enjoy the way that he does this. The harper stood on a tabletop reciting Mara and the three foolish Kings to the music of his heart. His instrument all worked in gold and silver was fit for a palace. Matt knew him. He had saved Matt's life once. The harper was a lean man who would have tall, who would have been tall except for a stoop, and he moved with the limp when he shifted his footing on the tabletop. Even here inside, he wore his cloak all covered with fluttering patches in a hundred colors. He always wanted everyone to know he was a gleeman. His long mustaches and bushy eyebrows were as snow white as the thick hair on his head, and his blue eyes held a look of sorrow as he recited. That look, The look was as unexpected as the man. Matt had never known Tom Marilyn to be a sorrowful man. I just love this, how Jordan constantly reminds us of these descriptions uh, throughout his books. I have always found that very helpful. Uh, yeah. when I'm reading, because I, I've read su- some authors that, you know, they'll give a description once and then over the course of time, you, I kind of forget what that was. And so the picture in my head is not really what they described. Uh, and I appreciate Robert Jordan doing this, keep coming back to these descriptions because I get the picture of what he's trying to show me. I don't think every author does a good job with that, but he did a fantastic job. Yeah, he's very uh, good at that. painting a picture, too. Yeah. Uh, to the point that you don't mind it when you come back to these uh, and they come back up again. You, yeah. you you enjoy it because it just he just draws you in. Yeah. Uh, well, as, as, as I was reading, because, you know, and I've read this book before, but I don't remember all the details, but I'm reading that passage as I'm, as I'm the other day and... You know, I'm about halfway through it. I'm like, oh, it's Tom Marilyn. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So glad to see Tom back, although he's not in um, the best shape. But there was something else you wanted to bring up before we get into uh, Tom Marilyn. It just has to do with uh, it has to do a lot with Tom being here. Uh, Do you think this is all random chance or do you think this is the severe nature of Matt pulling him to Tom? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, let me, let me say, I, I don't know. I don't know that I believe that anything is random chance in this world. Uh, you know, I, what, what is, what is the, the wheel weaves as the wheel wills. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's all part of the pattern. So, um, I, I'm very much on board with it being, um, the fact that Matt's Taviran that brought him to this particular tavern yeah where it just so happens tom Marilyn has been staying apparently for quite some time and is in the common room 
reciting one of the one of his stories. Um, in common, by the way. Uh, yeah, not, much to his chagrin. Not, yeah, yeah, not plain chant, not high chant, which would have made it uh, a hundred or a thousand times better. Uh, no, they want it in common. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is, except for maybe that point, um, this isn't exactly the Tom that we remember, is it? No. In many ways. Uh, yeah. What, this is a heartbroken on? Tom. Yeah, what's going on with our, uh, our, our favorite Gleeman. Well, he's directly dealing or not dealing with the fallout of what happened when Rand came a knocking. Uh, because Tom got caught up in Rand's refusal to play the game of houses. Yeah. Uh, and so Dina got killed. And so this is Tom Marilyn when the woman he loved, the woman he, uh, felt responsible for has been murdered. He's apparently gotten revenge in his eyes, but it's not enough. Yeah. Now he just blames himself. He, he's definitely dealing with, uh, uh, uh he, he's depressed. Uh, he's, he's spiraling into depression. Like you said, he blames himself. He even says it that, you know, he's talking about the, the only two women that ever loved him. Right? Yeah. One of them had a temper and ended up wanting to kill him. That was more gays. Yeah. And um, he said that he killed Dina. Or as good as. Yeah. Uh, so he's he's definitely blaming himself for what happened. And of course, all of that goes back to Kyrian, which is the last time we saw Tom. And the last time we saw Tom... Uh, he was heading out as a man on the mish- on a mission, and we didn't know exactly where he was going. Yep. I think we know where he was going now. <laughs> yep. Or at least in part, um, he killed somebody. Oh, yeah. Uh, who did he kill? I mean, I could tell you. <laughs> uh, but I don't I think know the you book could. has straight out said it yet, although no, it is no, alluded to. If you're it hasn't. If you're reading along, you can definitely read between the lines and figure this out. Uh, well, it um, it definitely his his killing of this man kind of caused all things to go up in smoke in Kyrian. It sounds like. Yep. And at least, if I remember correctly, the person that at the time. Tom was blaming for Dina's death was um wasn't it the king of Kyrian? It was. What was what was his name? I don't remember the king's name. Gal Gal Ga- I can't Galdrian, was that it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And uh Tom Tom was on a mission. <laughs> Whether or not he got there. <laughs> yeah. Uh which raises the question <laughs> was Tom Let's say it was Galdrian that he killed in revenge. Uh-huh. Does that mean Tom was like the the final catalyst for the civil war in Kyrian? I mean, we, we okay, we know well, we I, know De, we know Deus Damar being what it was. It was already you know on pins and needles as it was, but. <laughs> I want to take us somewhere dark for a minute with that. Okay. So, 
let's think back to Kyrian. And what is happening? Rand comes into Kyrian. He's presented with letter after letter after letter, which he burns and burns and burns. He finally accepts one, who is the rival to the king, which then sets in motion what is going to happen with Dina and what is going to happen with Tom. And then what Tom will do in theoretically going and assassinating the king, which then leads to a civil war in Kyrian, which destabilizes the entire area. The catalyst for all of this isn't Tom. It's Rand. Yeah, okay. And (laughs) I would go a step further beyond that. I would say Rand was just a puppet here, too. I think it's the pattern. The pattern is weaving itself so that certain things happen. and. People in the scheme of things, in the scheme of the entire pattern and the entire turning of the wheel, people are ants. The pattern Mm. needed Rand to get what he needed and for things to move that way. And because of how Rand's severe nature affected events, Dina got killed in the crossfire. And that led Tom to do what he did, which you could also see that as being the Tavir in nature, because yeah. the dragon is supposed to like break and reshape the world. Okay. And we see that really start in Kyrian. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think poor Tom and Dina just got caught in the web. Mm. They got caught in the pattern. And were casualties. Uh, And poor Tom blames himself. In reality, he was just as much... He was innocent. There was no fault from Tom. If you want to blame anybody, blame Rand for stubbornly refusing to (laughs) play the game properly and burning those letters. Because that's what what got those people, those men, to Tom's door, is how Rand was acting. Not anything that Tom did. Well... Rand, of course, didn't realize that what he was doing was going to have the effect that it would. No. Uh, he was, I mean, he, he knew nothing about the game of houses when he showed up in Kyrian. Uh, so we have to, you know, I feel like we need to cut, have to cut Rand a little bit of slack on that. But then you, you bring up the point of it being the pattern. You know, yeah. Everything, you know, is happening as it's meant to happen. And, you know, these individuals just got caught up in the crossfire. Uh, it's still ultimately, though, if we're assuming that Tom did kill the king, you know, that was kind of like the, the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will. Yeah. Like that was the last step on the way to civil war. Uh, so that, that's what I was when, when I said that, you know, Tom was the, the catalyst or the final catalyst. Like that was the last step in the process of yeah. all of that taking place. So, um but again, obviously, you bring up a good point. It's none of it is ultimately Tom's fault. If if we're to believe this about Taviran in the pattern, um, yep. Which races uh, we could get into a deep discussion about what that says about free will in this world and choice. Um, I don't think we have time for that <laughs> this no, week. No, but 
uh, I will give a little spoiler, not in any context, but this is a topic we will revisit in a few more episodes. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to that, but we're not done with this one quite yet. Um, besides Matt being extremely hungry and <laughs> Tom not needing any more wine, uh, ultimately they decide to go to Camelin together. Yeah. Matt, Matt, because he's on a mission, Tom, because he's on a different mission, yeah, he- uh, a mission of self-destruction. Yeah, uh, which hopefully we can get him. Matt can get him out of that at some point. He seems to think that Camelin is, but but at the same time, it almost seems like he's a little reinvigorated when he decides to to go with Matt. Yeah, I think. Or it's is that just? just be- is, say, I think that's it's just, just him having a purpose. Like even yeah. if his purpose is to get himself killed, it's better for him to have that purpose and mission. As opposed to what the state he was in when Matt found him, he was basically just going to drink himself to death. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, it, when it's time to leave, uh, and we hinted at this a, a few moments ago in the last chapter, but they head outside and something's missing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, yeah. You know, when Matt went into the woman of Tanchico, there was a dead body laying there in the street. With yeah. a dagger in the heart, and it's gone now. Yeah. And apparently nobody's been asking any questions. Uh, you know, the city city guard never came in. Uh, anybody know anything about this body? No. Nope. Um, it literally it's vanished. Just, it's just gone. And then Tom gives us this little... A uh, little tidbit about uh, Tarvalin that you don't find footpads in Tarvalin. Yeah, uh, there's too much risk to try to engage in that kind of business because if you get caught, uh, you get sent to the White Tower, and uh, whatever yeah. happens there not apparently pleasant. is not pleasant. No. Anyway, all of that puts a spring in Matt's step to get out of Dodge. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, get out of Dodge not- as quickly as possible. Even if the boat is sinking, if it gets them out of Tar Valen, it's enough. <laughs> yeah, because if there are no footpads in Tar Valen, then there's a lot of people that are coming after Matt for some other reason. That, and that <laughs> I guess that's the question. Um, you know, and I thought I had it somewhere in... Oh, I had it up earlier. Is uh, did did someone just want Matt's money, or does someone want Matt dead? <laughs> and obviously, if this fellow that he fought up above was a gray man, that answers the question, right? Yeah. Uh, someone wants Matt dead. The question is, who is that someone? Yeah. Why? Well, we can assume why they want Matt dead. Because he's he's you know one of the Taviran, um, you know, cut off one of the legs of the tripod, yeah, and the whole thing comes tumbling down. Um, the question is who. Um, I have some theories. Uh, <laughs> I have a possible theory about a certain individual we know is in Tarvalin and knows that Matt is in Tarvalin. Um, because she may have bumped into him somewhere along the way. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know. Any any theories? 
that you can, I mean, I guess you probably know the answer. <laughs> I think uh, that the first two people that come af- walking after him after he leaves the inn that time with all the money, I think those are genuinely guys who thought they could track him down and get their money back. Yeah. Because they turn around real fast. Like, they don't right. give much chase. And they're they're like, it's not worth it. Let's just go back and then go on about their way. I think the one that he kills, in my mind, it is a gray man. Okay. And it is there to kill Matt. Yeah. Uh, now, but who sent like it? I said, <laughs> um, I have a theory on who sent it. I don't think it's the same as the person you think sent it. Oh, okay. So. Okay. Well, I'm just working on the information that I have here. Yeah. Um, so. so there's, uh, actually, how, so I, how many? I have two possible candidates for who sent it, and neither one of them is the one you're thinking. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, but you can't tell us, can you? <laughs> no. Um, so how many gray men are we up to now? Three? Four? Three. Something like that. Three that right I know now, of. Three. Okay. There was the one that uh, almost killed Nynaeve and Egwene. Yep. There's the, the one, one that Shiryam's was found bed. in Sheryam's bed, and now this possible one that tried to kill Matt. Um, yep. And if you're what you're telling me is true, and they're not that common, which I mean it makes sense that they wouldn't be. Uh, that raises the stakes. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Significantly. So. That, it also uh, uh, gives you the scary feeling that Tarvalin is not nearly as much a bastion of the light as we were led to first believe. Hmm. If it is this easy for this many to get into Tarvalin, I mean, we already know there were 13 Black Sisters we, you know, in well, the first book, we're really given this idea that the White Tower is supposed to be like this beacon of the light. Yeah. And Tarvalin is the safe, it's where they're always trying to get to. It's the safe place. Yeah. And the last couple chapters have really driven home. That well, is not the case. <laughs> I was going to say, you mentioned the 13, but those pe- papers that we got from Varen pretty much confirm that there are more than just the 13. Yeah. So there are still Black Aja in the city. There is at least one Forsaken in the city. Yep. I say at least because who knows where the others are, but we know of that one. Um, and who knows what else is going on that we, we haven't been told about yet. Um, so we're leaving it in kind of a dark place this week. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. <laughs> yeah. But at least we got Tom back. We did get Tom back. And Even if I really it is a hope... sad, broken Tom. Well, still I, I, Tom. I hope we can pull Tom out of that at some point and uh, maybe get a little bit of the old Tom back with us. Yeah. Um, so any any other final thoughts from you before we close it out? Uh, no, I think that works pretty well for me. Uh, just setting the tone going forward. The, the world is not as safe a place. Like, it's never been safe, but we just, every time we think we're safe, we find out that we're really, really not. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, you know, in Harry Potter, where he thinks that Hogwarts is safe, but, like, 
every year one of his teachers ends up trying to kill him. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Any other thoughts for you? Uh, no, I guess, I guess not. Other than uh, I'm ready to keep on reading. I'm ready to uh, find out how these things are going to play out. So, um, yep. yeah, I'm just excited to keep going. Nothing, uh, nothing really to add to it this week. Uh, gray men are the worst. <laughs> I'm just excited for next week when, when we get to see Matt try and row off in a dinghy that's leaky. Cause I mean, he, you know, he's going to go for the first boat. So I figure he's just going to get like a, a little piece of scrap wood and a paddle and just little, little rowboat. <laughs> yeah. Like, like Take a off. Huckleberry Finn down the river. Oh boy. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us again this week. And just a reminder that new episodes are released on Tuesdays, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, we want you to uh, subscribe or follow uh, whatever the word your podcast app uses so that we can uh, so that you can get the new episodes whenever they're released and leave us a rating and a review uh in wherever you get your podcast as well and speaking of ratings and reviews uh we've gotten a few of those lately haven't we steven we have yeah so uh we're gonna take a little moment here and give some shout outs and say thank you uh to those who have rated and reviewed uh on apple podcast we've got uh joe 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 rant um i don't know if i'm saying that right uh tn girl 2015 uh, left us a review a while back. Uh, Julie Catherine left us a review back in December. And this is my favorite username ever. Uh, left us a review uh, in January. Um, if you have the username that has a bunch of I's, G's, and H's, you know who you are. And uh, thank you for your uh, five-star review. Uh, we're uh, really appreciative of that. Stephen, don't you have a couple of others yes, to mention? Uh, we got another five-star review this time on Audible, um, thanks to uh, Brenda Thaka. Um, and then for the first time ever uh, this past week, we actually had one of you listeners reach out to us by email. So, uh, Aaron, we want to thank you so much for reaching out. Uh, and to all of those that have taken the time to review and to rate, um, it is really wonderful to get to hear from you guys. Uh, and I encourage uh, folks, go ahead and take a look at some of these reviews. Uh, there's some really fun stuff in some of these that these people have left. It was really neat for us to get to go and read them. I know that yeah, much. You know, you sent me, uh, you, you forwarded Aaron's email to me last week. By the way, thank you, Aaron, for uh, sending us that email. I really enjoyed reading it. and. Uh, I was inspired right that second to go and look at uh, reviews. I didn't even know we had those other reviews. <laughs> I hadn't looked at it in a while, and it was a, a pleasant surprise. So thank you, each one of you, for um, giving us that, that comment, the, the reviews, the ratings. Uh, we're so excited about that. Keep them coming. Uh, if you're listening, and you, especially if you enjoy what you're hearing, uh, leave us those five stars. Uh, those, those are really great. Uh, very special. Um, don't forget about the contest, uh, that we've got running. Remember, this is your last chance to enter. 
Uh, entries have to be in by Friday, February 17th, so please make sure that uh, you have those in. Of course, you can find us on social media where you can enter that contest on Twitter, at WindBeginning, on Instagram, The Wind Was a Beginning, uh, on Facebook, The Wind Was a Beginning, a Wheel of Time podcast, uh, on TikTok, uh, Wind Beginning is the username there as well. Those are all the places you can enter the contest. Just go to the post that announces this episode. Leave us those comments like we asked for. Do the other stuff that we asked for earlier in the episode, and you'll be entered to win that fabulous prize. Uh, you can also email us uh, at thewindwasabeginning at gmail.com, and uh, we'd be happy to hear from you. Uh, so send us those things. Talk to us chat with us, whatever it is that you want to do, and uh, we'll be looking forward to hearing from you. Stephen, what are we doing next week? Next week, we are going to try and cover chapters 32 through 34. All right, and and, and that's going to include Matt in a rowboat, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Actually, just looking ahead, chapter 32 is titled The First Ship, so it picks up right where we left off, I suppose. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm excited to get started reading and be ready for next week. Hope that all of you are as well, and hope that you will come back and join us next time. Uh, I think next time will be episode 49 overall, maybe? Uh, 48. 48 48. will be the next one. Um, (laughs) uh, But uh, So we're getting closer to that 50th episode. Can't wait for it. Uh, So hope you'll stay with us. Come back and join with us next time. Read those chapters, enter the contest, talk to us, whatever. uh, And we'll be here next time, uh, ready to talk uh, more wheel. Um, So long, everybody. That's all I got left to say. (laughs) Have a great week. (laughs) See you, folks. Hope you enjoy your reading this week, and we will look forward to seeing you next week. 